1: the Josh Marshall podcast. Got a lot to talk about today. Uh, a big part of it is something that happened last night. You know, there was a CNN town hall with ex-president Trump, um, sort of his first go out in the, in the you know, outside of the Fox Newsmax OAN uh, ecosystem. And even with Fox, it's one of the, it's one of these interesting things that even Fox has been kind of like a no-go zone for Trump for a long time um and this was certainly the first time his being on CNN in forever and this is the first time in the Chris Licht kind of era in CNN you know oh he got what is it he he was you're not convicted in a in a in a civil trial but he was found to have sexually abused a, a woman and also you know liable for millions of i mean you know these are just kind of normal things in 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 the Trump World, you know, and oh, he he was he was found to have sexually abused E. Jean Carroll the the day before. It was the I'm losing track of my days here. Okay, what is what, <laughs> so yesterday? Okay, yesterday was the town hall, and right. the day before was the verdict where the civil jury found that he had sexually abused her and also owes her millions of dollars. I guess they had. The, I guess they had the um they had a range of choices. They chose sexual abuse rather than rape again it's it it becomes uh it becomes a little complicated to say what the distinction is in a civil context right uh but anyway these are just normal everyday things that happen in trump world nowadays um, he's also facing multiple felony charges in New York State, and then there's the Georgia thing, and you know everything else under the sun. One of the things that came out of that town hall last night is he was given multiple chances to say, "Would you like Ukraine to win in Ukraine or Russia to win?" And he wouldn't answer. Um, so we're still clearly back in that you know uh, Helsinki press conference world of trump where where he says stuff like that and of course uh the day before you also had george santos finally getting indicted what has it been like five months since he's since his fuse has been burning and uh you know one of the things about two things about santos i mean what a guy right he was he was he goes and turns himself in uh on long island uh you know uh eastern district from new york there's two um federal districts, federal uh, U.S. attorney districts in basically in in New York City, even though or they're based in, in different parts of New York City, even though they cover uh, more of the state. Uh, and he goes, turns himself in, you know, gets processed. And then he's out like an hour later uh, trolling on Twitter about Hunter Biden and how he, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know. A- and the other thing with Santos is, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and looking at indictments of elected officials and usually they are campaign finance related. They're things that are in some sense bribery, even if they're not quite labeled that way. You know, these are the, the, the these are the range of things. I've never seen I've never seen an indictment of an elected official that had unemployment insurance fraud. As one, of the, as one of the indictments. And what I saw another, another lawyer, um, another uh, legal lawyer, legal observer point out is that um, in most of these indictments, there's one overarching scheme. There may be multiple crimes, but it's one overarching scheme. And in this case, you have three totally unrelated schemes just multiple different kinds of, 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 of criminal behavior. So that is, uh, that is going on. And, you know, it's, it's of all that, they still couldn't, they still couldn't, um, get justice for that dog Sapphire. Remember they he, 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 uh, he raised money for this dog. Uh, I, I believe the dog didn't have cancer, but had a tumor, like an invasive tumor, um, that, Needed to be removed, or the dog would uh, die, and he raised a few thousand dollars, and he kept it, and the dog died. You know, so there was no justice for sapphire, but I mean what what a what a usually when you actually get indicted, either you come to the conclusion on your own or your lawyer convinces you, like time to stop shit posting. get off Twitter. <laughs> Right. Or say something very innocuous. But that was that was not where um, where he was. You know, let me let me tell you before we go any further, um, our colleague Kate is going to be away for a couple weeks. So um, our plan for the moment is uh, next week we're going to have an evergreen episode. Uh, we're going to talk about some really interesting new stuff, but not stuff that is right on top of the news the day we uh, record. And then we'll probably have an off week the week after that. So just, just heads up that that is uh, coming. Before we get any further, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. Now's the perfect time to stock your pantry for peak ice coffee season with Grady's New Orleans-style cold brew. Grady's will ship a six-pack of bean bag bundles right to your door so that you can enjoy refreshing cold brew iced coffee for a fraction of the price you'd pay at the coffee shop. The bean bags are the easiest way to brew it yourself, no special grinders, gears. Strainers needed anything like that. For less than a buck a cup, it'll give you a smooth start to ice coffee season. Get twenty five percent off at grady's with promo code TPM. Again, that's grady's with promo code TPM. And b- before we get started on the uh, on the Trump show, uh, just for um, transparency here, I did not I was not able to watch it live last night. I was actually helping my son study for an AP exam. Talk about, you know, life stage thing. Anyway, that was what I was doing. Uh, but I have caught up, I'm going to watch it later today, but I've, you know, kind of caught up on a lot of the details and the clips and reactions. So, um, you know, I, I didn't watch it, but what is it? You know, I stayed in a holiday. A, holiday and express last night so it's 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 close enough you know was, <laughs> was, was, was it you who didn't someone someone I was talking to a little while ago who didn't who had never heard that reference before but I stayed in a holiday and Express last night anyway <laughs> uh okay what was what was what was your reaction to the show last night
0: well okay so this is something that we all knew was going to be some degree of a disaster right because we've just been through so many iterations of this where people are like no we just need a different interviewer, and this will go different. And then you have a whole slate of different kind of, you know, big names in journalism, and it always goes exactly the same way. And this time was particularly egregious because the crowd was comprised of registered Republicans or undecided independents. So it essentially created a laugh track for everything that Trump said. I mean, it was bizarre. There's the part where he's talking about, um, the, you know, the assault on E. Jean Carroll, which he was just found liable for on Tuesday. And he's doing that thing he does where he's kind of, he's, narrating what happened from her perspective and then breaking in with observations as like a an outside observer so kind of toggling back and forth between these roles and doing what he's been doing throughout this you know making fun of her you know appearance um doing this really weird thing where like he can't seem to comprehend that when this accusation and the accusation of the other women that was um you know kind of testified in in that trial that when accusations happened decades prior the women making them were decades younger at the time he like cannot seem to figure that out he keeps referring to Eugene Carroll as like like she was an older woman when this happened even though the accusation is from the mid 90s but anyway
1: and for clarity it. they're both basically the same age yeah like she's 3 years, she's years older than she's maybe 2 him. years yeah exactly yeah. exactly
0: and so it, it's just bizarre because he is kind of going on this uh like playing it for laughs, right, playing this rape accusation for laughs. And Caitlin Collins is sitting there kind, you know, trying to kind of intercede. But it was as if she was placed to kind of play the role as like the uptight, prudish woman who just like doesn't get Trump, is not fun enough to think he's funny. Like, you know, is a political correctness police just like ruining our good time. So she's just kind of like sputtering inefficiently while he's delivering the story and the crowd is roaring with laughter. You know, they think it's absolutely hilarious. And that was just the way that it went. You know, they loved when he was mean to Caitlin Collins, when he called her a nasty woman. Um, It was just basically a Trump rally, sans the merch is what they put on TV. And then you have you know, CNN afterwards saying like, well, Caitlin did a terrific job and blah, blah, blah. And here's the thing, like the, the crux of the debate, I think, is what do you do with Trump? Because he is the Republican frontrunner. That's just the truth. You can't reasonably ask journalists not to cover him. But the thing is, you cannot just give him an open mic night because there's no journalist in the world who has proven themselves able to fact check just the spew of stuff that comes out of his mouth, because a lot of it is not even like fully formulated sentences. Um, Sometimes he just kind of gestures in one direction and whiffs off onto another tangent. It's just no one has proved able to do it. And as the night went on, Caitlin Collins just kind of gave up, like stopped fact checking him by the time he got to the point where he was saying that um, people can like, quote, unquote, abort, you know, baby who are already born for months. I mean, she didn't even say anything. And so all of this was by design, right? I don't think CNN or anyone else actually thought that they were putting caitlin collins in a position where she was going to do what no one else has been able to do and fact check him on air and that he would get embarrassed maybe or be shamed and like come on we've known this guy for years at this point they thought it would be good for ratings because you have the combination of kind of you know big trump super fans and then also the majority of people who are you know going to hate watch or watch to tweet about how bad it is um and It's also this kind of self-contained machinery where CNN wants to be reporting the news, but also wants to be making the news so they can be the first ones to report it. Um, So, you know, the post coverage is just like trying to make all these kind of individual newsy moments within the bigger context of the town hall. And then that's news. And then that gets reported on, but it's all coming from the same like CNN super machine kind of thing. So, you know, ultimately, I'm sure if the ratings are good, CNN will be thrilled. I'm sure they'll do it again. Um, And these are the same kind of corporate journalistic carrots that run counter to the interests of democracy.
1: Yeah, I mean... (sighs) Normally, if you are doing a town hall with a candidate for the nomination of one party, it makes sense to have the audience be people made up of that party or you know independents who lean in the in that direction. That makes perfect sense you know they're not Democrats or not the audience in a in a primary you know in a, in a nomination primary context but obviously th- that's not really what it is because Trump's the guy. Trump is the nominee even if we don't want to say it yet, right? He's he's the head of the Republican Party and you you only have to um you know, you only have to know him that of course it's going to turn out that way. That he's going to he's going to you know, it, he's going to make it into a a rally. I'm curious whether they um I'm I'm not sure how I'm not sure how they should have gone about that because uh, you know if you if you said all right we're going to get half you know Trump supporters and we're going to get half you know Trump Republican skeptics right well that would mean you're going to have to fill it with the two percent of Republican trump skeptics right that's (laughs) that's that's not a real uh that would be sort of like you know if you had this in a democratic context you're going to say we're going to get half democratic supporters of social security and half democratic social security skeptics so we have some balance well that's not balance because (laughs) because you 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 can't find any democrats who it's it's kind of the same thing so i don't you know i i there's a couple thoughts i have on this one is that um CNN wants ratings, yes, but what they are, their real, what is their real aim at the moment, their kind of, you know, strategy is to rebrand CNN as not too liberal. That's the thing. That is their, you know, audience levels are not really their problem. They've got a pretty big audience. Um, And even when, even when Fox's audience was much better cnn made more money just just because who their audience is the kind of advertising you can get you know you're you're um with fox you're having all of these sort of like you know put your 401k in gold um here's the belt the best self-lubricating catheter you know it's all like aimed at a certain audience these are not premium advertisements that you get like big dollars with um so what what Chris Licht was brought in to do was again make it no longer be too liberal. Well, you can get into sort of an abstract debate what's liberal, what's too liberal. None of none of that matters. What they're really trying to do is is get Republicans to stop attacking CNN because a substantial minority of the country sees, you know, sees CN, CNN is the Clinton news network. It's fake news CNN and that is a big problem. For CNN. cnn is not a niche news organization it's a mass it's supposed to be a mass buy-in news organization it has to at least have a shot at the audience participation of everybody and if and if they're blackballed by almost half the population that's a huge problem so what he what he what they're trying to do is is get trump and republicans to stop saying cnn is bad now if that's the standard you can see that goes in a pretty in a pretty bad direction and i think if you understand how this stuff works if you understand trumpism if you understand you know what republicans have how republicans have functioned with the press for 30 or 40 years it's not this isn't a case where you're Chris Lick and you're gonna sit down with Trump or sit down with Mitch McConnell or McCarthy or something, and they're gonna say, Chris, we've got these three things that really get on our nerves. If you can just stop doing those, we're all gonna be pals again. That's 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 not how it it's they in in that world, there is the obedient press and there's the enemy press. You can't there's no set of disagreements or set of complaints and the whole point is to get media organizations to into a supplicant posture vis-a-vis Trump and that's exactly what they're doing here so it's not even you know i don't that that is what they want to do but but what what you actually have is you have to keep doing that forever to and 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 then Trump will make fun of you and and his and his he his uh his supporters will mock you because you're a supplicant and in trump's world there are dominators and supplicants and you're a supplicant so you know i i think it is also i think it is always important um to step back and think even if he is sort of dominating this show that doesn't mean that He's helping himself politically. I think that's a basic disconnect that um, a lot of, you know, a lot of uh, well-meaning press commentary has fallen into. I mean, he was president. He dominated everything for four years and then he lost. So what the impact is, I, I, I don't know exactly, but I and I don't know what they were, what what the, what the suits at CNN were thinking. But you're, you're right. Probably they
0: think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, so the other piece of this is there were specific moments that I think Democrats have already kind of zoomed in on as useful for them. Right. And these were the moments where Trump was genuinely like kind of tripped up. Um, That was, I think, his wishy-washiness on Ukraine, Russia. Uh, He just kind of, you know, I mean, we know he loves Putin, right? Like that's not a surprise. But um, you know, Caitlin Collins kept kind of pushing him like, do you want Ukraine to win the war? And he wouldn't answer and wouldn't answer and wouldn't answer. And it just, you know, it was kind of like uncomfortable in a way um, that it was just really clear that he was trying to dance around it. There was that. Um, there was his attempts to kind of walk a line on a national abortion ban. i trying to sound a note that he's open to it. Um, but, you know, without going like all the way into kind of embracing, you know, Lindsey Graham's 15 week ban. And that's going to be interesting because uh, the Susan B. Anthony uh, Pro Life America organization is like one of these kind of big anti abortion groups. And they have said, um, you know, they kind of came after Trump when he said the court did the right thing by leaving it to the states. And they said that they won't endorse anyone who doesn't publicly support a 15 week federal ban. And now they've already kind of softened that position because I guess they had some. Because Trump's going to be the nominee. (laughs) Right. And they had a cleanup meeting with Trump and they were like, oh, you know, he is the most pro-life president of our time, you know, whatever. But that is going to be a problem that's going to hound the Republican primary. And it's interesting that the only kind of recourse there is trying not to answer the question. Um, So you have you have Ukraine, you have abortion. And then the other big moment was the documents case that is still being, you know, special counseled by uh, Jack Smith, where he wouldn't say that he hasn't shown anyone the documents. You know, that's a moment that you can tell is getting clipped and transcribed right into the court documents um, and is... He, you could see it all over his face, like his face dropped, like he, he got kind of sullen and pouty and didn't want to talk about it and was like, it's fine, I can declassify things with my brain. So those were kind of three, I think, standout moments that weren't just him kind of like vomiting, w- lying word salad and having the audience like cry tears of joy, um, which might actually be helpful. But the thing is, like fundamentally, to me, But you have to cover the Republican frontrunner. Like, I don't I don't argue with that. But giving him a home crowd, that was a choice. And that they knew that was going to mean that he was getting the kind of de facto approval of the audience stand in. Um, And that is the part that I quibble with most from last night.
1: Yeah. You know, it it is it is telling from what you say that um a national abortion ban that's hard for him to Mm -hmm. you know because he's the most pro lifeist president in history but he also he's also paradoxically he's not an idiot he can see that it's really like it's really toxic right now in national politics so he wants to stay away from it uh russia he's sort of dancing and everything um uh everything and and obviously the things that might send him to jail he's dancing <laughs> on but the one thing that he can really get into and really tell a good yarn and get his people you know whooping and hollering is when he rapes someone <laughs> i mean i mean that there's only i mean they found it was sexual abuse i mean the difference between sexual abuse here and rape is is uh is is not the same as we may recognize today in ordinary conversation right it has it it has it can have very specific physical meanings whatever but the point is when he was forcing himself on a woman that's something he can joke about and really get everybody get everybody in a good mood i mean that that you know it's sort of obvious and yet you say it and it's pretty it's pretty jarring. And as you say, kind of narrating it from her point of view, him coming in, ah, I wouldn't touch her. She's not my type. And also, did she come in in a wheelchair? What's the story? You think I'm you think I'm getting down with a woman that I mean, just that's him and he can. That's his language. And, and uh, just the way of making it a fun story. There's mm-hmm. no other way to put it. There's no other way to put it.
0: Yeah. Um, And let's just do like kind of a quick kind of summary of how that case ultimately went. Um, The jury turned around its verdict under three hours after they were given the case, which is interesting because it was kept anonymous throughout the trial, literally because the judge was like, Trump will direct violence to these people if we don't keep them a secret. Um, But it was six men and three women. So just kind of off the bat, I was like, oh, man, you know, I mean, you look at the dismal uh, I mean, this wasn't conviction, but the dismal conviction rate for kind of crimes of of sexual abuse in this country. And it's easy to think you also have the added layer of he was a former president, and maybe some people feel uncomfortable. And the accusation, you know, happened a long time ago. Um, but it was just a pretty resounding victory for E. Jean Carroll here, found liable for sexual abuse and for defamation. Uh, you know, has to fork over five million dollars to her for damages and. Just, I mean, the details from the case are just, they make him look so bad. You know, the moments from his video deposition where he was like, she's too ugly for me to rape. And then he mistakes her for his ex-wife, Marla Maples. Um, you know, the whole Trump's lawyers were... You know, not like they put up any kind of defense, but what they did do was what people always do to victims of sexual assault, which is if there's any kind of hole in their memory of the specifics of the incident that renders them not credible. And I thought um Eugene Carroll's lawyers did a really good job by kind of countering that during his deposition by asking him when his various marriages started and ended. And he had absolutely no idea, like <laughs> came a rough like five to 10 year ballpark. Um <laughs> And, you know, it is one of those things where I think if she had lost, that would have been crushing, you know, because all of these kind of cases, whether they involve Trump or not, these women are being stand-ins for, you know, the, the hundreds, millions more who have experienced behavior like this, but who don't you know, say anything for good reason. So anyway, oh, probably I the
1: hundreds, literally hundreds more, just by Trump.
0: Just by Trump, exactly. Right, right. right. Um, and the other piece of this, you know, not to get all West wingy about it, but this lawsuit was only possible because activists in New York had pushed for this law that would basically kind of toss out the statute of limitations for a one year window and give victims of sexual assault the chance to file a civil suit, even if, you know, the assault had happened years and years before. And that's what she used to file this suit ultimately.
1: But she would have still been able to sue for defamation, right? Right. Or not. Okay. But she, so she basically, this basically allowed her to like, sue for the rape equivalent of when someone sues for wrongful death in a civil context yep. where you get money damaged basically i mean sounds weird to say but wrongful sexual abuse and you 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 so say you owe damages and and right. he lost on he lost on both although I, although I guess what the judge gave three basically versions of sexual abuse that the, that, the, that
0: the that the That's right yeah jury
1: could choose from i guess
0: And the other piece of this is we sometimes get into this posture with Trump that's like nothing that happens to him will matter, you know, because his base is so fanatic. And it's like, that's true. His base is that fanatic. But as we've seen, he needs more than his base to win an election. And what we've seen in particular is just the bleeding of women who used to vote Republican from that party in no small part because Trump is its standard bearer. And those kind of voters, you know, this is the kind of case that they are going to understand because it's not, it's not complicated. It's not about, you know, government documents and their correct handling. It's not about a Kind of guy to guy hush money link chain to this woman. You know, it's just, it's flat out, it's easy to understand. There's no like legal complexity here. And I do think that that stuff matters, even though we're always, you know, we're always in this place of like Trump is a juggernaut. It doesn't matter. Even though now we've, he's had so many more losses than wins. But I do think that this kind of thing matters. And that getting a spate of headlines where Trump is, you know, a jury found him liable for sex sexual abuse is just a lot more than nothing.
1: Yeah, no, I I think that's to, I think we're constantly in this thing where people are endlessly frustrated by the fact that anything could happen and what is it? 20% of the population, again, 20% of the population isn't the same as 20% of the voting population, but 20% of the population it doesn't matter. Anything, it doesn't matter. Um, but as, as you say, he needs substantially more than that to to uh, win an election. And one of the things I was I was struck by in watching, you know, parts of the watching, hearing about, you know, the deposition, certain parts of the trial, et cetera, is that in a it's one thing in although I think it it did not do him any favors in a um, in 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 terms of the jury, in terms of the results of the trial. But when you're saying like, yeah, she ain't my type, you know, I'm not touching that. Like you hear that and you're like, okay, dude, that's not a conversation about whether you did it. Mm -hmm. That's like, that is, I think for most people, that is really jarring because it's not, I mean, if someone is accused of rape and you want to, you want the person to save themselves in your estimation- right in your sense of is this an okay person could this person you know not have done this terrible thing you want to say i did not do that i remember that i remember the 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 time what she said did not happen i did not do that thing and you you know obviously people who did do it say that all the time but you want to hear that because that is how if you didn't do it you are going to talk you're not going to do you're not going to kind of that that sort of song and dance is you know, I hear that and you're like, OK, you did it <laughs> like like obviously you did it because you're you're joking about it and you're kind of demeaning her in sort of kind of denying it not. You know, it's like O.J. kind of stuff. Like if I did it, right. you know, if I would raped her, here's how I would have done it. I wouldn't have done it like she said, you know, just just mm-hmm. and politically, I, I think that is in some ways that's almost worse than the verdict for him. People get reminded of that and like, dude you know and i even think in what i've seen of this of this um of this town hall yesterday and i think i saw the uh the you know the biden instagram account put something out put something out like right afterwards to this effect of like do you want to go back to this do you remember this mm-hmm. do you remember this do you remember how fucking crazy this was and a fucking exhausting and this kind of crazy person who yeah is sort of a bundle of energy and impossible not to look at but do you remember when we kind of lived with this crap, like nonstop. And and um, I think that's a pretty, I think that's a pretty powerful thing for a lot of people. Not, yeah. not that necessarily you win, but I think everybody has that sense of like, that was exhausting. That was totally exhausting.
0: Yeah. And then the other piece of the Eugene Carroll uh, verdict was how Trump's opponents would react, right? His his uh, primary challengers or, you know, prospective challengers. And I mean, we've been talking about this on the show, but it's just, they're so stuck because they're doing this constant thing of trying not to alienate Trump's voters while also having to make the case for why those voters should pick them and not Trump. And that leads to like, just the weak ass responses that we got, like DeSantis was like, well, I've been pretty busy, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the news, but I've been pretty busy. And it's like, okay, you know, (laughs) while Trump is kind of like going after him night and day, is that supposed to look tough? And then you have Nikki Haley being like, we need to leave behind the negativity and the baggage. And it's like, okay, cool. So that's our Republican option for women. Right. Um, Then you you kind of go lower on the totem pole um, and you have like Larry Elder tweeting out all the names of women who have accused, you know, like Bill Clinton of of sexual misconduct. Um, And then uh, Vivek Ramaswamy who's saying, you know, this race would be much easier for me if Trump wasn't in it, but we don't weaponize the legal system against our political opponents in this country, you know, so it's like, it's all variations of being pro-Trump. It's just like more vocally pro-Trump to more like, I don't know, I'm going to run away from this question pro-Trump. The only outlier, obviously, is um, Asa Hutchinson, who said, you know, this is more kind of like indefensible conduct from Donald Trump. And I'm sure that kind of pleased the five, you know, Lincoln Project dudes (laughs) who are like super stoked to vote for him.
1: Well, you know, it is telling that only one of the gadfly candidates Kind of went there that with with Alvin Bragg, you can say Soros far left wing radical prosecutor coming and weaponizing it against Trump. But as much as people are around Trump are kind of dumping on Carol, you can't just say like radical far left Soros rape victim. Good going, (laughs) you know. Just just it's 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 you can't really. I mean, you can say it's not true. Sometimes accusations are not true, but, and, 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 you know, they, I guess Reed Hoffman was, was basically, uh, footing the bill for her to bring this, you know, bring this case. Uh, I think it was Reed, was it Reed Hoffman? Uh, in in any case, a very, uh, you know, a billionaire plutocrat type was, was, was picking up the bill. And so you can say, oh, you know, he's, it's a, it's, you know, it's not her hit job, but it's hit job of the democratic woke mob and all this kind of stuff. Um, but at the end of the day, y- you can see from what the responses were, that that option was just not there. You have to kind of say, oh, I didn't hear about it. Or like, that's very negative. Can we leave that in the past? It's it's just not a prosecutor. A prosecutor is not a victim. Right. By definition. Um, and you can go after them. And there's, and you know, that's part of if you want to go after a prosecutor, you can. You you sh- you, you shouldn't. Inc- you can't incite violence against them, but you can criticize them. That's our system. You have free speech. You can. You don't have to. You don't have to like them and all this kind of stuff.
0: So now we're transitioning into uh, you know George Santos's indictment, which. perhaps like the the least shocking news of the past few years, almost shocking in that we were like, what's it going to be? There's such a wide swath of stuff to choose from. But basically, the kind of the the big crux of it is the campaign finance stuff, which is that he, you know, told supporters and potential supporters kind of give me money, this will fund my campaign. And then with the Barest effort to cover his tracks just rooted that money right into his, you know, direct bank account to use it for, you know, buying clothes and paying off debts and whatnot. And then attached to that, you know, lying to the House of Representatives on his financial disclosures. um, And then, oh, that he uh, (laughs) committed some light unemployment insurance fraud during the pandemic, uh, which is like, you know, pretty hilarious. But I think. Almost what gets me about this indictment is that like doing campaign finance crimes is so easy in America because our entities that are supposed to police it are the IRS, which the Republican Party has systemically defunded and basically made completely powerless in the in the past few decades. And then the FEC, which is now almost always deadlocked and Powerless for that reason. And, you know, with the Supreme Court decisions, it's just kind of the wild, wild west. Like, you don't have to do that much to do kind of shady money laundering that is legal under our kind of sham of a regulation. But he couldn't even take those steps. Like, he hardly did anything at all except just kind of wire transfer from this one account to his personal account, I guess, not knowing that wire transfers can be traced. And, you know, per the indictment, they have they have him on you know in emails and in text messages basically admitting that he that he wasn't going to use the money for his campaign which you know we'll see if they have enough to really like nail him to the wall here but it's just like this is the one area of well there are multiple but this is an area of crimes where you can basically like get away with anything particularly if you have a good enough lawyer and this is the one that got him like stapled to the wall because he's such a freaking doofus (laughs)
1: yeah i mean it's it's as you say, there are ways to substantively commit crimes under these um, under these legal regimes that make them almost impossible. To you know, what you do is you say, okay, we raised it for our campaign. Our campaign made a donation to the friends of George, and the friends of George hired my nephew. And my nephew bought bought my groceries for the next two years, and and you know that's that's is that illegal? That's a that's a tough thing. But yeah, if you just say like, ah, oh, I just raised this money; it's in my campaign account. Let me wire a hundred thousand dollars to me. <laughs> like you you actually can't do that. You actually cannot do that, and that's a pretty serious crime. And and it it's funny though that that. Um, <laughs> in 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 some ways i feel like it's almost unfair to him since he had a lifetime of operating this way <laughs> it with total impunity so so like you know he wasn't he's like one of these kids raised by wolves right he had no experience of of the law and legal accountability and suddenly it's being sprung on him in his mid-30s right it's it's almost like it's it's almost like it's not fair um i do wonder Um, They're certainly I mean, they basically got him on things tied to his campaign, uh, the 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 unemployment insurance uh, fraud that happened, you know, when he was between his campaign. So that's kind of campaign related. Um, There certainly seemed like he was involved in a lot of 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 other scams and, 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 and crimes in the last few years. I'm curious whether, um, I mean, they may have thought like, and I don't know exactly how many years he's facing, but they may have thought like, that's a lot of work. There may be some issues with statute of limitations, and it's those are complex, and this is not complex. We, has, we have sort of got him totally dead to rights. So we don't need to do that other stuff. And I don't mean I, kind of joking that it's too much work, but, y- you know, you're involved in credit card scams and stuff like that. You know, the witnesses are also scammers and there's, you know, th- those things are, are 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 messy and this is not messy. I mean, kind of like you can't just like literally take the money.
0: Right. I mean, and in their, in their press release, they said that, you know, if he's kind of nailed on all the top counts, that is a 20 year prison sentence. So I'm sure to some degree, there's like, you know, this is not a frivolous thing that he's being charged with here. And he is, to some extent, just like a really kind of low grade con man. So getting him on this feels like, okay, you know, that it's substantial, right? It's a kind of wide swath of stuff. He looks, some of it makes him just look like a really bad person on top of this, you know? Um, And so now we're back to where we always are with George Santos, right? Which is the political dynamics remain unchanged, e.g. that McCarthy needs his vote because the margins are so slim. So i you know, I'd be surprised if we're facing a situation other than he is going to be there until he is shackled.
1: <laughs> totally, totally. To- and one thing, one thing that that is important to keep in mind is that, you know, we talk a lot about how, uh, you know, campaign finance laws are so toothless and stuff. And one of the key things is, is that it is not a, a defense per se, but it gets you pretty far, both on whether charges are even brought and then what happens in a punishment phase. And that is basically, I didn't know. Or like, you know, if you're a campaign and there are a couple straw donors in there, the candidate says, hey, we had, you know, 5,000 donors. We've got people who do this, people who do that. I didn't know that. And like, yes, it's on me, but I there was no ill will here. I didn't, you know, how was I to know this was happening, that was happening. And that is why there's lots of campaign finance stuff that can be pursued civilly or criminally. And in the vast majority of cases, it's just pursued civilly because you don't have to worry about what I just described, which is I didn't know, it wasn't on purpose, it's, it, there's so much going on, how, you know, all that kind of stuff. More or less, in a civil context, you just say, hey, it happened. And, and there's a fine. And that's, that's the end of it. And, uh, and even when it's brought in a criminal context, you usually have that thing of like, Hey, I was out there on this, uh, given the speeches doing this. Yes. Some bad stuff happened, but, and like, maybe I'm ultimately responsible, but I, I didn't decide to do anything bad. And that can be, that can be a convincing argument. And often that's why, okay, you get like a, even at a criminal level, you get a fine or you get. You know, sentenced to three months of house arrest. But when you just take the money, you find out that often the actual, se- the actual criminal penalties are pretty stiff. It's just that you don't get to the prim- uh, criminal penalties in a lot of cases because of all those things I described. So even things you can say like, oh, you know, the, the campaign finance system is toothless. Like it is toothless unless you're operating at that kind of brazen a level. Which And where, where prosecutors say like, okay, we're actually going to totally indict you for this and, and try to get the max. I mean, you don't get the max because, I mean, shockingly, I'm not sure he has a criminal record. He's had a million times when police like questioned him, but I don't think he's ever been not in this country, at least he's not been um, indicted. But, you know, judges have a lot of leeway. I think they're going to look at him and say, like, you know, yeah, you haven't done time in this country, but let's who are we kidding? right? You've, you've, <laughs> you've probably committed enough crimes to, and I, I guess they can actually, I don't know, there's some context where you can, where you can bring st- stuff like that. In, in any case, um, he's yeah. got some hard sailing ahead of him, I think.
0: It is funny that this, you know, this uh, indictment came from a, a jury, right? And can you imagine trying to assemble a jury pool that is not like have preconceived (laughs) notions about george santos you are literally gonna have to find people who like don't have an internet connection or something
1: (laughs) i do i do i do wonder i'm sure they are going to you know because it's not sure about this but in general it's not a um when when you are trying to pick a jury you're trying to pick a jury who hasn't formed opinions it's not, the prosecutors can't kind of say, well, of course everybody's formed opinions because he's fucking George Santos and he's guilty of everything. So you should have thought of that before you became George Santos. You can't actually say, I mean, you can say versions of that, but you can't say that. You still have to find people who can say like, you know, yeah, I've heard this, that and the other, but I'm, I have an open mind because who, who could have an open mind? Right. It's George Santos. So I'm sure they will have, a. It will, there will be some challenges bringing, a, you know, finding a jury, but they'll, 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 they'll figure it out. They'll make it work.
0: The other piece of this that I find so weird is like, you would think, barring everything else, that George Sanchez is kind of an interesting person, right? Like, interesting is the nicest word you can say about it, but he's had quite a life, you know? There's a lot of color in there. But I swear to God, every time I hear him speak or he like tweets or whatever, you're just like my God, it's just the most like boring, predictable kind of like right wing stuff you could expect. It's like what you were saying, how afterwards he was like, well, well, Hunter Biden, it's like, okay, you know, creative, George, like interesting. It's just it's just he seems so kind of like one dimensional for someone who is, you know, Tom Ripley, basically. Right,
1: right, right. Well, I guess it's it's, you know, at the moment, I mean, this is he needs to it's it's not just ego and adulation. He needs to keep the Trump world on side, right? Yeah. He needs not to get not to get kicked out of the house, a potential future pardon from Trump. I mean, who are we kidding? I mean, yeah. I if I were him, i that would be my that'd be my angle, mm-hmm. um, or just to have one or two jurors who are just Trump people, you know. So um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's pretty weird stuff. And, yeah. and I, wonder, I do wonder, you know, it that that's always the thing that is a little a bit of a bummer on the entertainment front is that politicians wisely go dark when they're indicted. I mean, you're not going to hear anything from them, but I don't think we're going to have that with George Santos. I think he's yeah. going to be think he's going to be, uh, you know, out and proud.
0: If nothing else, we've seen that he doesn't really seem to be surrounded by like top-notch lawyers, so <laughs> probably not.
1: I really wonder, like, would you want to like, I, you know, it's not even that he's so guilty; it's that it it it's that that's very hard for a lawyer when you have an out-of-control client like that. That's that's tough.
0: Maybe you'll start making calls to the the people who do Trump's cases. They've got <laughs> experience with that, you know.
1: Exactly. 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 So uh, we're
0: going to finish up with a little debt ceiling corner, uh, which we've been talking about a lot, which is, you know, still uh, a a looming crisis. Um, They had the kind of big four meeting at the White House with uh, Biden and the congressional leaders. Um, The Republicans came out and said, you know, nothing has changed. Um, And I think you did a few posts on some comments that Janet Yellen made on what one of the networks, um, which I think. Right, which had some kind of like tea leaf reading involved. If you want to kind of break that down, yeah.
1: So, so she went on uh, CNBC and gave a sort of a, you know uh, interview that covered general uh, various economic topics, and she talked about the debt ceiling at the at the at the top. And what she said was the first thing that I saw that gave some indication of what their plan is when this thing goes over the cliff, which I think it almost certainly will. And she talked about. Basically, prioritization—kind of like what will—I think the phrase was something like, you know, what will we do with the revenues we have? Because remember, the the federal government brings in tons of tax receipts on an ongoing basis that cover maybe like eighty percent of all spending. I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's 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 the great majority of it. So you can service the debt obligations, you can pay for most things, and some things don't get paid, and and that she described as one of, you know, as as seemed to be the, you know the first thing that they would they would do. But then she talked about, you know, all the other options and we have many options but they're all bad options. And a lot of people took that as well, okay, they're all bad options so you can't do them. But that that's not what I heard. I heard them saying we've well, got a lot of options. We have lots of things that we can that we can that we can do here. Um so that struck me as the first time they are trying to prepare people that this is going to happen. And yes, we have, you know, we're not going to get caught flat footed when it does happen because we have lots of things we can do and we're going to do those things. So it seemed like a pretty significant Development to me, even though it wasn't necessarily treated that way. There's some stuff that has happened subsequently where, you know, Joe Biden said this thing about, well, uh, you know, I'm thinking about the 14th Amendment thing, but like it would take so long to litigate. I don't think it's practical. And that was a pretty bad sign since the whole point of doing that is basically to stick it on the Supreme Court. Like, of Mm -hmm. course, there's no time to litigate it. And that's the point that you just do it. And then you basically say to the Supreme Court, like, if you want to kind of take the step to uh not, you know, not send out people's social security checks, Supreme Court, go for it. And I don't think they will go for it. But the idea that you were going to preempt yourself and not do it because oh, it's gonna to take too long to litigate, that would that was the most that was the most disappointing, worrisome thing that I have seen in this whole this whole debt ceiling cycle. It was the first thing. And, you know, it's one comment. So maybe it was an offhand comment that, you know, I'm interpreting in ways they didn't mean. But it was the first comment that made me really think like, okay, maybe there's not up to this. So that was that's kind of where we are right now, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, the next thing is that the big four are going to meet again on Friday. Um, It's interesting because I think a big kind of beltway theme here has been you know is mcconnell gonna kind of step in because he has been the big part of these things getting resolved before and i think more to the point people just realize that mccarthy is like pretty dumb on top of being pretty weak and like at (laughs) least mcconnell knows what he's doing to some degree um but it's almost funny how aggressively mcconnell has been like this is not my problem. This is the house's problem, um, which we talked about on the pod before. But, you know, doing this this little press briefing, you can also just tell the kind of like energy between McConnell and McCarthy that, you know, they don't like each other um, because, you know, McConnell gets up there and is like saying almost nothing but saying, you know, a default is not on the table. Right. That's not going to happen. And then McCarthy's like, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Stay tuned. You know, it's just kind of like the the degree to which McCarthy is has his career just like built on this like house of people pleasing cards and nothing none no other kind of talent other than greasing the palms he has to grease is just so evident in this situation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I was struck by, you know, I think that a lot of official DC is thinking now that, now that, uh, after McCarthy was able to get that bill through the house, then they, they were kind of hoping that wouldn't happen. And then this whole thing would go away. And I'm talking about people in the, you know, corporate world and financial services and kind of just inside DC people. Uh, maybe McCarthy will just belly flop and we, this whole thing will go away. And then when he got it, They were like, "Okay, Biden, you've got to now you've got to negotiate because we can't let this escalate anymore. And I think people are thinking kind of the thinking there is, all right, Biden, you know, give him, uh, you know, um, unspent COVID money and give him, you know, give him this, that and the other. They're not that big a deal. Just just you got to do it because other, you know, because you got to be the grown up. And but before McCarthy went in there, you had all the Freedom Caucus people saying, ah, ah, ah. "He's he's got, you know, our knife is at his throat. He knows he's got to get everything. He's got to get, he's got to overturn the Inflation Reduction Act. He knows he has no room for maneuver. And, you know, even McCarthy, if you listen to him, has basically been saying in so many words or in body language, just negotiate with me. Just Give us something, and we can move on from this. Some, something, but you, but you are never. I'm never going to be able to give you a clean debt ceiling. That is never going to happen in this space time continuum. So just give me something. And and the gulf there is just so big. I mean, just see the whole thing is. I, I, you know, at this point, I have no idea how this is going to get resolved. Um, but it's you know, just the whole thing is a train wreck even more than it was obviously a train wreck a couple weeks ago.
0: It really is. I just keep kind of waiting for like a short term extension type thing, which obviously the White House like doesn't have a really good reason to enable Republicans to kind of regroup Drag for another yeah. month. Yeah. Um, but I mean, when faced with the option of kick the can down the road for a month or two or like explode on our debts right now, you, you kind of have to seem a little more appealing. Um, yeah. Just because at this point, I mean, we are barreling towards the end day. And I know Republicans are saying like, oh, well, Yellow's not right. It's like, OK, maybe, maybe not, but <laughs> maybe <laughs> she is. And this is like a pretty weird thing for her to be you know, for to assign her some kind of like resistance lib motivations for. So I mean, at this point, we're, we're weeks away. I mean, the time in the space that both chambers of Congress are even in and like working at the same time is reduced to days. You know, it's just I don't, I don't know how this gets resolved at this point. Because as we've discussed, like the two parties kind of incentives are just completely different. I mean, there's no, it's not one of those deals where it's like, we just need to find some common ground. It's like one party is rooting for exploding the economy and the other one is not. I mean, there's no common ground between opposite things. So yeah, I don't know. That's why I just keep kind of waiting to see if they do end up hunting it just because there doesn't really seem to be any other option than default, you know, at this point.
1: Yeah, no, I, and I, I think that... um <laughs> I, I I think that's right and and there's no um yeah there's there's no motion so I, I like I said I, I maybe maybe that will happen i, I th- that you just have an extension to kind of push it back a, 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 a little bit um just because like I would you know the the White House has no incentive to as you said let the Republicans regroup and find a way to more more efficiently stick it on the Democrats. Mm-hmm. But if you do have in front of you kind of like, all right, we can get a reprieve for, it's going to be pretty tough for, I think, the president to like veto that. Um, and with Yellen, like, you know, yeah, maybe she's, a. as you said, maybe she's a little off, but that's sometimes uh, when I kind of think about, you know, maybe there's some thing about the Earth's ecosystem that, warming actually won't be that bad maybe, you know, but that's not much of an argument. That's not not much of a plan. You know, it might not be quite as bad as you think isn't, isn't much of a plan, but there we are. And I, you know, I, I, um, I really don't, I really, I, I can seldom say that I, I mean, it's not that I know the future, but I, I generally have an outline of the future that seems more likely than the other Right. Like, OK, I think this is happening in this case. I really have no idea. I have no idea where how this is, how this is, where this is going.
0: Yeah. And I think the biggest complicating factor is just this idea that it's kind of impossible to tell how aggressively prepared Democrats are for this. You know, like you you quoted that Biden quote as worrying to you because it was kind of wishy washy and kind of like, you know, this isn't going to be a a foolproof plan, right? Which kind of sounds like he's not sold on it, right? At the same time, you've got the idea about the discharge petition and and all this kind of stuff. But part of the incentives there are going to be for the White House and congressional Democrats to like keep these cards close to their vest because there's no reason for them to reveal the contingency plan at this point. So that is what makes everything so much muddier. It's just you have no idea if Democrats are actively being kind of complacent and just like waiting to see what happens or if they do have a plan B ready that we're just not privy to at this point.
1: Yeah. And I I think that, you know, that this is one of the things that um, I think politicians often lose sight of this. And when Biden made those comments, I think he made them on Tuesday when Biden made those comments. And I I wrote to some people who were kind of, you know, Biden adjacent, for lack of a better word. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Like, what is going on here? And I think that people... Um politicians often are not sensitive enough to the fact that you can't say something that is going to make your supporters question whether you're even in the game. Like you can say, in you know, maybe they've they've got they've totally got a plan and they're thinking, like, okay, whatever. He said that thing. Well, we have got a plan. Don't worry about it. You know, you you don't know our secret plan. But like you can't demoralize your own supporters because you need them to you need them to be there with you and you need them to trust not that you're going to win every fight but that you're going to show up for every fight or you know this is this is i think we talked about this in the last podcast one of the sort of the fundamental things in politics is you can't you can't leave your supporters thinking am, am i a chump am i out here saying we're going to stand tall we're not going to put up with this and like you're not there, or you're actually just gonna, or you haven't thought this through, or something. That kind of trust is so is so key in politics. And um, you know, n- not only should you not let down your political supporters, but you shouldn't make them. You shouldn't give them too many reasons to worry that you're gonna you're gonna do it. And again, a politician, people are naive if they think their person is going to win every fight but they want to think that that they're going to take seriously every fight and that they're going to show up at least with some plan even if it doesn't work right and i do worry uh i worry right now about the biden white house in that in that respect so hopefully we'll see more uh in the coming days that will that will you know put josh's mind at ease (laughs) (laughs) but seriously you know that will because again i don't have a sense of where this is going right now it's really it's it's kind of gone back to being a bit of a a black box to me so we'll see anyway i think that's it for us this this uh in this episode and remember our, our our co-host Kate is going to be away for a couple weeks. Um, uh, much deserved vacation and all that kind of stuff. And we will be back next week with an evergreen episode. So we'll have one for you next week. And then the following week we will have an off week and then Kate will be back after that. We'll be back to the same old great Josh Marshall podcast uh, content. Let me remind you before we sign off, Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You get 25% off. Uh, any purchase at Grady's cold If you use the promo code TPM, any sign off comments, Kate?
0: Uh, nope. <laughs> All right, <laughs> That makes sense.
1: All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: The Josh Marshall podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter, Kate Riga and TPM founder, editor in chief, Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.